Welcome to the CSRG Podcast. I'm Keanu. And I'm Chris. And today we're going to talk about things not to do. This was originally named Things Bad Shooters Do, but we didn't want to give that connotation. And this was done at a recommendation of our friend. And we actually thought it was a pretty good topic because there's a lot of stuff that we could cover pretty quickly. Yeah, and it's going to be a pretty comprehensive topic too. We're going to be talking about uh, divisions, shooting technique, etiquette, stage planning. You know, a lot of things we might have touched on before. Um, but yeah, shout out to Drew. He's one of the master directors at uh, Dothan Gun Club out in Alabama. Um, but we'll jump right into it. First thing not to do, don't shoot PCC. If you're going to shoot PCC, shoot an MP5. It's got to be, be MP5. cool. It's got to be an MP5. No MPXs, none of, none of that garbage. That's right. But Or maybe, I'll, you know, a UMP, I'll, I'll allow Ooh, UMP, UMP would be cool. It, like UMP45, right? Yeah, like, like a Counter-Strike? Mm-hmm, yo. I'm game. Or P9, oh, P90s could be cool, too. P90s aren't legal in PCC. It's uh, not 9mm. Oh. Okay, well, that sucks. So MP5s or UMPs, <laughs> or the uh, or the cult submachine guns from the sixties. That'd yes. be cool too. Or or a Mechtech XDM. Okay, next topic. Don't shoot carry <laughs> optics. It's for boomers and timmies. Don't shoot single stack. Also for boomers. Don't shoot revolver. Also for boomers. And don't shoot limited ten. For dumb people. <laughs> Except for you know we're we're gonna have a limited ten championship this at Channel Hawk Defense. So. <laughs> we'll talk about that a little. It's later. gonna be terrible. It's gonna be awful. Um, but shoot a little bit of production. You know, production's pretty cool. Um, production's a lot of fun, I found. Yeah, but just a little you bit. You and I did a, whole, did a whole episode on this. Yeah, but, but just a little bit. Not too much. Right, just a little experimenting. Yeah. Right. You know, everyone, everyone experiments a little bit. So. Right, but you don't go full in. Like, uh, like no. you know. Yeah, exactly. like some people. So Shoot open. You'll automatically become a better shooter if you shoot open. Guaranteed. And shoot limited because limited is the best division. No, I disagree. <laughs> I mean, 40 sucks, but limited is the best division. Yo, it's so much easier to reload 9, but... Whatever. But think about this. I know you hate this. The majority of people shooting open shoot 9mm 2011s. How much do you hate 9mm 2011s? Well, I shoot a 9mm 2011. And you explained to me how you loathe yourself for shooting I do. one. Well, yeah, it's because the people who shoot non-compensated, non-major 9mm 2011s usually are shooting a plastic-gripped gun... That weighs less than a Shadow 1 or a Shadow 0, however you call it. And paying a ton of money for, for a gun that has a marginally better trigger and has way more expensive mag. I just don't get it. Um, but that's, that's for a three-gun discussion. Um, don't shoot three-gun. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. Don't shoot, don't shoot multi-gun. Don't shoot IDPA. IDPA, yeah. No IDPA. Unless you're um, going to go in and pwn noobs with Walthers and win a lot of money. Yeah, Steel Challenge... Eh, it's all right. I, I can see that. Steel Challenge Pro Am, those are okay. Yeah, like Ryan Flowers shoots Steel Challenge and he destroys us. He's a good shooter overall, though, yeah. so that, that's not fair. But aside from dis- divisions, I think one of the first thing that you usually see novice shooters or shooters that are struggling in the competitive shooting scene is a bad grip. Um, one of the things about grip, though, is that there's so many conceptions of what a good grip should be. A lot of people are following trends that they see online. Um, but some of those grips that you might be using, they may not be providing you the best grip pressure as an individual for what your, I guess, the ergonomics of your hands are, uh, the type of platform you're shooting. Um, but I think there are some standards to the grip that you know make sense, which is essentially just grip the gun hard. You've got to have good grip pressure. Yep. Um, but there's a lot of misinformation about grips as well, or like how you, how you grip a gun. Yeah, and I, I think that does... You have to do a lot of experimenting to do that, but I think... In general, you'll find two schools of thought on that. You'll find the school of thought that says, I mean, both of them, like we said, you know, come from the foundation of grip the gun hard. It just depends on kind of what muscles you use. So for the people who grip, um, who have a more traditional pistol grip, people like like Ben Steger or Tim Heron, um, or even like you or myself, Mm -hmm. we kind of, we use a lot of forearm and shoulder muscles to kind of press into the gun and grip the gun hard, like with our palms. And then people like Chris Tilly and Eric Raffel will kind of push pull the gun, and they'll they'll use their pectorals and their lats to to push in and push um, against the gun, as opposed to pushing into the gun laterally. They'll do so um, like front and back. Yeah, and you know I guess it all comes down to that theory of you know having a vice around the gun, right? To get right. the gun to return to zero, where you're essentially mitigating. And they're all achieving the same goal. They are, yeah. Um, but then, you know, there's a lot of misinf- – I, I don't want to say misinformation, but it's almost misguided in the way that information is given to these new shooters on 
how they should be gripping the gun. Like uh, we talked about 60-40 um, while we're getting prepped for this podcast. And we're kind of talking about what are really like just, just gripping proportions in general, right? Yeah. And like, you know, having less grip pressure in your right hand than your left hand if you're, you know, right hand dominant. Um, but really, I think this is a good tip for beginners because most of them will over grip with their right hand because they're worried about the recoil of the gun. They feel like their strong hand is the one that keeps the gun in their hands. Um, and it also promotes a better trigger pull. But this is something that you will quickly grow out of as you get better at shooting because it's no longer just, okay, I'm going to put 60% of my grip pressure on my left hand, 40% on my right hand. Um, one, because it's hard to quantify. But then at some point, you're also going to be just putting way more grip pressure on your left and your right hand, which almost takes you out of the 100 percentile range. You're now looking at, let's say, 60-60 or 70-60 or something, you know? Yeah, and the hard part of that, too, is when you start to think about proportions and, uh, and grip pressure, it gets really hard to become to, to create a repeatable grip because you – or I guess you can repeat it, but you spend a lot of time – on the draw and on the presentation trying to figure out how, how hard you should be gripping the gun. And it's easier, in my opinion, it's easier and better to grip the gun as hard as you can because that's, it's easy. Yeah. You're just going to go, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to grip it at like 105% as hard as I can and I'm going to back off. I, like, I'm going to back off just a hair just so it's enough so I can do this consistently throughout an entire stage. Yeah, and then eventually what that becomes, right, is the, the instinct isn't to think, okay, more pressure on my left hand, more pressure on the right hand. It's just... I grip as hard as I grip, and then yep. that's the end of it, essentially. Yep. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's something you got to experiment with. Uh, and a lot of the, the information you get about grip, just remember that it's a starting point. It's not your end point, and yeah. it, your grip's going to constantly evolve. Well, whatever you do, you make sure you don't want to teacup the grip. You don't want to do that weird grip that people do where they put their support hand thumb, like they kind of curl their thumbs over each other. And they don't have any thumb support on the gun at oh, all. Yeah, uh-huh. And they basically, like, you might as well cut their thumbs off. Yeah, I mean, some, we know some people who do it. Um, and it works for them. But, you know. But it's a bad grip. You watch their gun and then you, like, it flies. Yeah. And as opposed to doing a good thumbs forward grip. Because everyone does a thumbs forward grip in USPSA pretty much. They do. But, you know, I tried the Bob Vogel thumbs forward grip and that definitely doesn't work for Well, because your hands. hands are small. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of people will watch Bob, Bob Vogel, especially when they first starting because... When you look up videos on how to grip a handgun, you know, Bob Vogel's videos are one of the first ones to pop up because um, he kind of, I don't know if he pioneered it, but he had, he had one of the, probably the strongest grips on a Glock at the time. when he I was, think he's got a video out there where he closes on like a 280-pound Captains of Crush. Yeah, and he's got, he's got hands that are probably bigger than my face. Yeah, and I gripped a gun like him, uh, so I, I did, I copied his grip back when I was shooting a Glock. And it worked pretty well for me, but then when I was switching to 2011s and other guns, it stopped. It kind of lost its effectiveness, and it kind of started to degrade my shooting a little bit more just because the grip was so weird Yeah. Um, compared to a traditional hanger grip. So I switched back to a traditional grip, and then when I, whenever I shoot my Glocks now, I don't really notice the difference anymore. But mm-hmm. if you're going to shoot only Glocks, I think that's a viable thing to do and assuming you have the hand size to do it. And like you're a bio, it works for your biomechanics because yeah, it, it exactly. very well may not, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, but moving on from grip, uh, we'll talk about stage planning. Um, a lot of newer shooters are shooters who just aren't excelling as well as they should. Um, it, a lot of it comes down to stage planning. Um, one of the probably the biggest things is not visualizing stage plans. You'll see people who almost get flustered because they're overthinking things. Oh, I think we should start with not stage planning at all. Because a lot okay, of new uh, shooters don't stage plan. Well, I feel like... I don't know if they're afraid to. But like they kind of have to in a way, right? Because they have a limited number of rounds. Well, no, it's like I get I get two or three new people every week at my match. Almost none of them stage plan ever. They just kind of shoot the stage as they shoot the stage. And well, that that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I guess that's fine if you want to do like the whole tactical Timothy, you know, threat assessment and immediate like remediation or whatever the threat. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. I don't I don't know, um, but it's not a good it's not a good way to go about the sport. Yeah, and, and if you're in the sport. If you're in the game, play the game. Yeah, and I, you know, this we might as well bring it up now. You know, a lot of people just say, "I'm here just to have fun," or "I'm here to train." Uh, right, I'm just, I'm just here to. I'm not here to compete against anyone but myself. And it's like, no, you're not. You're here at USPSA because if you were, if you wanted to compete against yourself, you'd go to the range, you'd play with a timer. Yeah. Right. Uh, and you know, USPSA also like if you're a, a law enforcement officer or something, it's not necessarily the best place to practice tactics. Because one of the things that you hear all the time, it's uh, the, oh, well, the targets aren't shooting back. Well, it's 
course they're not. We're playing a sport. You know, we're playing a game. Um, and really what USPSA does, it just increases your capability to shoot fast, shoot accurately. It makes and, you a better shooter overall, so why not play the game? Yeah, but you know, you'll have right. you'll have some of the guys out there in their in their duty gear and they're really just there to, you know, work on their technique or their skills. Um, in a way that's almost counterproductive for gun handling. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, um, so I get the whole law enforcement thing, right? So if you're out every every single day, um, if you're if you're, you know, state or local LE or if you're like a federal agent mm-hmm. or something like that, I get it. I get it, but if you're, because you know you're training with your gear, to yeah, uh-huh. you know in, in a practical shooting environment to better yourself, and I, I get it, that's fine, but I don't get how people, you know, people who run around with their freaking three gun drop leg holster, super Timmy battle belts, <laughs> and they still have their AR mags and everything. Like I've seen AR loaded yeah, AR mags uh-huh. on people's bodies. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, and they keep all this stuff, and like I've seen like their shotgun ca- caddies uh-huh. and everything on their belts and stuff like that. You know, train how you fight, kind of thing. Um, or, or train how you fight, or train how you three gun or whatever, yeah. right? Like uh-huh. you're not. I guess if you want to be better for three gun, that's one thing. If you want to just say train how you fight, I'm not here to compete. I'm just here to you know. Or um, I'm not competing against anyone but myself or whatever the hell. That's I think that's a poor mentality to have. Especially if you're really striving to become better. Right. Um, and progress is always good. So if you're out there to make yourself better, good. But why not make yourself even better by having other people to compare yourself against? Yeah. And it's not like everything that you learn from USPSA is not applicable to some other you know tactical situation. Or you know even for you know your preppers or your boogaloos. Um, you know, there's a lot of skill transfer, and you just need to train it in the right way. And right, and and I feel like you're almost missing out on a lot that USPSA will help you on from a skills perspective, if you don't play the game as it was meant to be played. Right, you'll um, just get frustrated. Yeah, because you know people are gonna be, you know, even if you are just competing against yourself, you're gonna get your ass kicked in these competitions. You're gonna get frustrated, and then you just eventually will stop coming to these matches. You might as well just be sitting there with a the timer. And you know a friend's farm or in, at an indoor range. Just do freaking drills at the range, right? Just do the right? drills, yeah. Do T Rex um, arms drills. Yeah, because you know at that point, if you're just really there to have fun or compete against yourself, there's other ways to do it that doesn't cost twenty five bucks much every money week, or yeah. you know a certain round count, and uh, you know the the two and a half hour drive or two hour drive it takes you to get to a match, or the almost certain hate you'll receive from yeah. uh, people like me. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of goes into equipment as well. You know, if you're going to play the game, um, buy quality equipment. Um, it's, you know, it makes sense if you're really dipping your toes in and you get some Uncle Mike's mag holsters. Um, but if you're, if you're serious about getting better, you've got to have sturdy gear. Um, you know, nothing's necessarily wrong with the Uncle Mike's, but the mounting points and the attachments. No, 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 no. There's a lot of stuff wrong with Uncle Mike's. Well, well so, I mean, like, I, I shot Uncle Mike's in single stack. To be honest, and like the positioning was fine, but they're they're definitely floppy holders. They're not sturdy. Are we talking about mag hol- mag carriers or mag, holsters? mag pouches, not holsters? Oh, because their holsters like, are garbage. Yeah, it's because they're like nylon. I mean, I mean, yeah, I have a I have an Uncle Mike's holster for a high point, but that's a high point. Yeah, but you know, if we're thinking, you know, let, let's talk about belt even, right? If you're gonna buy a belt, you know, if yeah, if you don't want to make the commitment to get a CR speed or a a double, double alpha, alpha you, you're gonna run your like your daily carry belt, for example, the first couple of matches, and that's fine. But if you're serious about it, like, you know... Spend the money. You've got well, to... Well, I have a black scorpion belt. It was like 30 bucks on Amazon. It's pretty good. I yeah. use it for production. But but inevitably, you ended up getting a... I have a double, double alpha. alpha. The double alpha is unquestionably better. Because it's sturdier. And This is not paid by double alpha in <laughs> any way whatsoever. But, you know, it comes to a point where, you know, if you want to get better... A lot of people will say, oh, no, I want to wait until I hit this particular class until I upgrade my gear. Or I'm not going to buy this or that until I hit this certain class where well, I feel confident enough. It gets to a certain point, though, right? So you just want to have gear that's good enough where it can get you through a mesh. It'll reliably function. Yeah, and, and it right? mounts sturdy. And, and it's, yeah, it's sturdy and it's safe and it's yeah. durable. None of, after that, it really doesn't matter, right? Because if we're talking, you, you have Race Masters. I have yeah, Alpha uh, X and I have Racers. And you have Racers and Ghost Pouches, too. Yeah. Uh-huh. At that point, does it really make a difference? The extra... It's twenty five bucks for a ghost pouch. It's thirty dollars for a, for a um, racer. It's what fifty dollars for a alpha for a race master. Yeah, and, and like it's sixty dollars for, for an alpha X. X. Yeah. So from that price difference, does it really make a? I guess the ghosts do. They they can and have broken before. 
Yeah. But you can use them for like a whole season. They're fine. Well, like, you I've, just replace I've, them. I've gone through maybe like four seasons with my ghosts shooting production and carry optics. Maybe. Right. So, so there you go. And how much... So it gets to the point, right, where, where you say equipment matters, but then equipment only matters up to the point where up it becomes point, yeah. serviceable and, and durable. Yeah. Um, but again, like running running a regular belt and having to attach your holster and your mag pouches. Yeah, that sucks. Every match, like it's not repeatable. It's kind of floppy. You know, it's for, very floppy. For CCW, yeah. it works because you're carrying a subcompact or even a full size. In you know, but if but it's also going inside the waistband too, so you yeah. have the support from the pressure of your hips yep. and your. It's not free hanging like a, like you our know, holsters are. Six mag pouches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so inevitably, you've got to invest in it if you really want to get into the sport. Treat and, yourself, and it's but like Keanu was saying, like it's up to a point, and then you have diminishing returns pretty quickly once you get to the good stuff. Well, I wouldn't say the diminishing. It's just like, um, it's not diminishing. It's from a cost to performance ratio. I right. Feel like okay. It yes. Yes. Yeah. And but of course, there are advantages to shooting or you like running Alpha X's versus it's, the Race Masters. There's, there's but a, it's really small ancillary stuff, it is. and in the end, it doesn't make a difference. You only buy Alpha X's if you want to flex in the pores. And it flexes pretty hard. And it hard. flexes pretty hard <laughs> yeah. on the pores. No one cares about Race Masters because they suck. Yeah. Well, no, Race Masters, the racers nobody cares about. Let's no, the racers it. are better than the Race Masters. The, ra- the Race Masters are the, the metal ones. Though. Yeah, but it's but on a 2011 mag or any mag that's not a Glock mag, it's metal and metal contact. They're way stickier. Ah, Feel my Alpha X compared to your Race Masters. Yes, and the there Alpha, is a difference. The Alpha X's are much better than the Race and Masters. And the racers are smoother too. Oh, but again, it's. You know, when the, I feel like the way that you slap mags on a limited and open setup, you need metal pouches. I wouldn't say you need metal pouches. I think it's the way the Alpha X and the Race Masters mount is what makes the difference. Well, yeah, the, the it's mounting a sturdier are mount. Yeah, and you know, you've got metal contacting metal on the mounts. Yeah, and because the way, like, honestly, production reloads, you don't slap that mag pouch as nearly as harder at a bad angle um. as on limited mags. <laughs> You should see my mag pouches. Well, you're, I have to loosen them, or I have to tighten them after like every stage. Well, you're special, so. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll, you know, equipment. equipment anyway, just get damned. good equipment. You don't need to spend a lot of money. Yeah. Um, you can have a good belt from like go on Pro Shop. They'll hook you up with a double alpha with a double alpha rig. And yeah, and you can. It's not expensive. You can buy pre-made rigs. They'll give you the mag pouches, the holster, the hanger, all of that. You yeah, know, it's just just buy. Decent equipment, yeah, that will last because it's not worth spending twice on. Yeah, all right. And then talking about things that uh, you shouldn't do, um, you, you know, we talked about a lot of this in episode fourteen about etiquette and match etiquette. Um, please pace your targets. <laughs> I don't care how good or how bad you are. Please pace your targets. And I really think that if you don't pace targets, you will not get better. I just think if you don't pay his targets, everyone's going to hate you and, you'll, and it makes you a scumbag. Yes, and I hope you don't get better. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, check out episode 14. We yeah, talked it's about just a, a decent thing it. to do because it, a lot, or just reset, help reset the stage in general if you're not on the deck, if you're not on deck or if you're not the shooter. Yeah. And, um, or if you just didn't shoot. And because a lot of people, like, it's a lot of work. Yeah, and I'm usually the one resetting far steel and it just sucks throughout the day. Yeah, um, but it's funny though because usually it's the newer the newer shooters, the ones who aren't as good, who you generally see. You know, I know it's a broad generalization, but they're usually the ones that are not pacing or resetting. Well, no, I see. I have the opposite experience. I found that a lot of the times it's just it. It's not the people who have shot longer. The newer shooters usually I've seen do a pretty good job resetting the stage. They kind of do so in a in a bumbling manner. Yeah, like yeah. right, like because they're still kind of like following people around a little bit. They don't know the ropes mm-hmm. too well, and I don't blame them for that. And I'll, I, I frankly don't blame new shooters too much for for not pacing all the time. Because it's they, like they, yeah, they yeah. don't have like they don't have the gist of the sport yet. Yeah, but if you've been doing it for four years or even a whole year, <laughs> and you're and not you're pacing. still not pacing targets regularly, you should go eat it. Yeah, we we've got some beef to pick with you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I wouldn't feel bad if MD disqualified you for unsportsmanlike conduct it's because happened it before. is very unsportsmanlike. It has happened before. Not going to name names, but it's happened before. Um, so again, we we talked about etiquette a lot, um, but we've also talked about some of this stuff in um, episode sixteen, the whole calling your shots and sight tracking. Um, a lot of a lot of times, newer shooters who are struggling to get better, or even not necessarily newer shooters, but 
veterans who are having trouble getting better at a certain point look at their targets after shooting it. Yeah. Well, new new shooters to USPSA, I think, be, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of people um, grow up shooting and expect and like have an expectation to see the hits on the target. Yeah. Because, you know, they're slow firing, whatever, and yeah. stationary targets. And we don't got time for that in USPSA. You don't. We got to go fast. Got to go fast. Um, but yeah, so that, that's just one thing, you know, if you find yourself doing it, it's something that you can train out. Um, yeah. And then learning how to track your sights and call your shots is going to help tremendously cut down your stage times. Um, and it'll definitely increase your confidence while you're shooting a stage to know that you're throwing the shots that you think you're throwing. Yeah. And we actually, we did show notes this time for the first time in a while. Yeah. And we actually did write not calling your shots. Um, so, yeah. And like I, I think this kind of ties into it right away so we can just jump mm-hmm. into it. But you just don't see a lot of people just say, you know, oh, I couldn't see my hits on the target or whatever. It's like, why are you looking at your hits? Yeah. and then Look this, at your sights. Look how the sights behave when you press the trigger. That's all that counts. And, like, this also goes into another thing that we see a lot of uh, uh, bad shooters. Well, I don't know. Not as good shooters do is, you know, related to not calling your shots is double taps. Ooh, yeah, that's bad. Like, um, you know, the whole double tap thing. You'll, you'll see the guys out there. It's like uh, a three-target array, all open targets. And you hear a pop yeah. You you hear like a one one two to one four split with like a point five transition. It's like what are these people doing? And you and know a lot of it's just. So I think we should clarify the difference between us saying double tap and us saying a pair. So a pair of shots is you have two sight pictures when you're pressing the trigger, or like yeah. double, right? Double tap is a double one tap sight is picture one sight picture and blast up the second shot. Yeah. Yeah. And double tapping is exactly what you don't want to do if you want to hit your target twice well. Yeah, and, you know, double taps, I feel like that's, I don't maybe it stems from the tactical tactical community or whatnot. Um, but, you know, you'll hear a lot of people calling double taps controlled pairs because that's really what they should be. Um, but another, another really interesting concept that definitely elevated my shooting in the beginning was uh, talking about, I guess, yeah, you'd call them really fast controlled pairs versus target sweeping. Um, Young Lee has a really good uh, YouTube video on this where he goes through the difference between double taps and sweeping targets where essentially the end goal is is if you're sweeping a target, which you know we're talking about three arrays or three targets in an array, all open targets, uh, your splits should almost be identical on all three targets with almost no break in shots while you transition. Yeah, so your splits should equal transitions basically. Yeah. And so essentially the you're you're kind of slowing down your splits to the point where it matches your transition, um, if that makes sense. So, you, yeah. you, like if you're shooting an array of three targets, there should almost be no break in your shot. Well, this ties into the three into three sight pictures too, mm-hmm. right? So when you take, sorry, I had a burp up beer. Um, nice, well, <laughs> nice. When you take a uh, when you on a normal course of fire, a lot of, it's two shots per target, and so when you take a, you know. Uh, when you take a pair at a shot or at a target, you're going to see one sight picture. And then you see a lot of people do this. They go one sight picture, shot, one sight picture, shot. And then they let the sight settle on a third sight picture before transitioning to the next target. And I don't know why people do that. It uh, makes no sense. There's no benefit to doing that. It, well, but, you know, if you think about the advice that some people are giving, you know, always focus on your front sight. I mean, it, it makes sense. But it's almost just a misapplication of the advice that you're being given. Right. But that's even bad advice too. Not always focusing on your front yeah, side. Like but, I know it's an example, but like it's an example of really bad advice. But again, it's just one of those concepts that people use to initially help a new shooter become more accurate. Or they always say watch your sights, right? Yeah, but but then it they never tell you the next part where you know there's you know you don't have to do front sight focus depending on what your skill and your capability is. Yeah, it's just always focus on your front sight. And you know I think we talked about this with the sixty forty grip. You know it's a good starting place, but it's not the end. And there's a lot more to do to get your grip, you know, I guess proficient and good from but, the But I feel like three sight pictures versus two sight pictures, you're not doing yourself any benefit anymore. You should just, for those of you who don't know, you get two sight pictures after the second shot and while the gun's recoiling, you transition the gun. Yeah, that's you, it. You call your shot, you transition. Yeah, you stand nothing to gain by pointing the gun at the target a third time without shooting it. If yeah. you're going to point the gun at the target the third time, you better shoot it. Yeah. Or you could do what I do and just actually stop looking at the target before my second shot goes off. 
So you could not do that. Also, that'd be a better idea. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the three side pictures. Yeah. I definitely don't understand because after the second shot breaks, your eyes should be instantly going to the next target so that when you swing your gun for your transition, your sights are on target. Yeah. Well, I, I think a lot of people look at trying to look at their hits but if you're shooting the gun and the gun's at eye level and the target's at 10 yards away, you're not going to see the hits anyway because the gun's in the way. Yeah, and if, especially if you're focusing on your front So side. your options yeah. are either drop the gun or move your head. I, I Neither one is a good choice. Yeah, and I feel like this really comes down to a confidence thing too. Like if you're looking at your target after you've shot it, um, you're going to usually hesitate whether you move or you don't, go to the next position or not. Yeah, You kind of sure. stutter and then it just wastes a lot of time your stage plan. So I feel like if you're gonna and you're allowed to mess up you're allowed to mess up but like it's a really easy thing in a stage and it will save you a lot of time if you just only get two side pictures yeah and like you know or just go balls to the wall take your mics and just just run through the stage in confidence and you know it's uh, we'll, we'll talk about this later too on you know the whole match mode thing um but yeah three side pictures doesn't make sense yep yeah. what else doesn't make sense pinning the trigger Click pinning bangers. the trigger is so dumb you are basically adding a reverse trigger pull to your trigger pull. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, like, I think we talked about this, what, two weeks ago? And I was going off on it. Probably, yeah. Uh-huh. You prep, like, when, when, you, when you prep the trigger and then you press the trigger, the shot goes off. And then you pin it? Like, so, so that makes sense if you're shooting, you know, NRA high power or PRS, stuff like that, where the yeah. follow through is absolutely 100% you know it has to be impeccable but in action shooting you're the the gun is moving quickly enough the gun is cycling quickly enough you are shooting quickly enough that it doesn't matter when you break the shot let off the trigger all you're doing at that point is you're going to call if you're if you are calling your shots which I i would expect a lot of people who pin the trigger don't call their shots yeah Right. If you are calling your shot, though, you're calling your shot when you, the moment you release the trigger, not when you press the trigger back. Or they're calling their shots, but they're just shooting really slow. Yeah. And again, this is the whole. You know, this comes back to the whole mis misapplication of advice for beginners, because pinning the trigger makes sense when you're a new shooter. You're learning right. how to be accurate. You're learning follow through. Yeah, and you're learning how to you know have a good trigger pull, yeah. but it's not the end all to your shooting. Yeah. And you know you're going to evolve from there. And if you're again, if you're click banging or if you're pinning the trigger. You're wasting time when it comes to competitive shooting. Yeah. And or action shooting. Competitive action shooting. Yeah. And, and for those of you who don't know, it's just... I blame Glock a lot on this because Glock touted the whole trigger reset thing when they first came out. Uh-huh. Like 30 years ago. And it's done such a disservice to action shooting because it taught people such terrible fundamentals. I, I guess it's not even terrible fundamentals. If you, like, like I said, if you want to follow through on a shot, it's fine. Right, but action shooting is not the place to do it. Yeah, it's again, it's a good way to get started. But well, cause, yeah, because it teaches you not to slap a trigger. It does, and especially if you don't know how to slap the trigger well. You know, we talked about this with the whole um, Rob Latham videos, right? Um, you know, at some point you get good to the good enough to the point where your grip is good enough where you can slap the trigger and the gun doesn't move. Yep. And essentially, the whole pinning the trigger thing originated to help shooters especially novice shooters to pull a good trigger pull, let the gun reset. And then, you know, you let the trigger release and there's very little slack in the trigger to have a good follow-up shot. Right. But it from, if you're really looking to excel at your shooting, it doesn't stop there. There's a lot more evolution of how your trigger pull is going to evolve to shoot faster, to shoot more accurately. Yeah. And it just doesn't end there. But a lot of people will end it there because everyone keeps telling Oh, feel the trigger reset, you know, pin the trigger and then let the trigger reset before you break your next shot. It's again, it's just a misapplication of a tip that was originally made to help beginner shooters. And then if you stay there, you're just not going to get better. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Um, Improper dry fire. um, I feel like a lot of I'm definitely guilty of this. Um, I've definitely, you know, when I think of dry fire sitting in front of the TV, racking a empty gun and just pulling the trigger. Um, I've definitely considered that dry fire at times. Like, oh, yeah, I dry fired yesterday. Or people who dry fire at the TV. Yeah. Like when they're watching. That's not dry fire, bro. I mean, it kind of is, but it's, it's, almost, imp- it's, it's almost improper. It, you're not working on any skills per se. You're, you might be working on trigger pull or whatever. Um, but, you know, it's, it's half-assed dry fire. And, yeah, it'll probably help you if you 
don't have any skills whatsoever. But at some point, you've got to really focus on your dry fire, running a timer, running specific skills as you practice. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like it's your pre-live fire. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right? So we always say live fire is just validation of dry fire. Yeah. Um, and because, you know, a lot of the stuff you do work on in dry fire transitions seamlessly to live fire. And it doesn't really make a difference whether you're doing a live fire or dry fire. Mm-hmm. Right. The only thing that diff- that can make a difference is validating your grip, um, recoil control, and sight tracking. Yeah, and flinch. It's a big and thing. flinch. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And a- and a lot of people seem to have an issue reconciling dry firing an empty gun versus dry firing a live gun when nothing in principle should change. Yeah, but then that's also a lack of live fire. Um, yeah. Right. Because if if you're all you're doing is dry firing and you're not getting enough live fire in the concussion, the sound, the recoil, it's gonna. F- it, it phases you and then you know your everything you've been practicing almost goes out the window because it's no longer the same environment you've been practicing in. If you really want to get good at ignoring a, a flinch, go to an indoor range and get a booth right next to that three oh eight Galil. Yo. Cause I did that the other night and it was terrible. Yeah, or shoot next to me and then <laughs> Or shoot next to an open gun. That yeah. works too. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do think flinching a lot of it is live fire. But oh, I should say a lot of it's live fire, but I think in principle, like it, fundamentally it comes down to it's just your grip and trigger press. Yeah. And it's, disi- right? it's it comes down to discipline. How and it comes down to your, you? yeah. And it comes down to like how you're mentally breaking down. Yeah. Shooting the gun. Yep. Moving on. Everyone's talked about dry fire. Moving on. Uh, focusing on classifier only skills. I mean, we talked about this before as well for like fundamentals of marksmanship and whatnot. Yeah, um, and they're good fundamentals to work on generally because classifiers, a lot of them are just like standard standards or standard shoot type stages, and a lot of them have partials, and a lot of them require decent trigger discipline, um, and like especially with, that, with the way high hit factors are now, they require a certain skill threshold to, to shoot at a certain level, and that's fine, but don't waste your time doing classifier-only skills every single day whether it's dry fire or live fire, because all you're doing is training yourself to only stand and shoot. If you're not practicing movement, you're not practicing shooting on the move, you're not, pra- you're not practicing doing reloads while moving and all that stuff, you are doing yourself a disservice. Because you just won't get as far in a match where they have field courses. Yeah. It's um, like you might be able to go do position shooting really, really well, but everything in between is going to suck. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about this before as well. Like uh, position shooting, it's something that a lot of new shooters will start out with, and it it has its place, but almost you want to eliminate as many positions as you can at the higher level. Yeah, so. you, you want to blend things together. And practicing anything but standing up straight and shooting. Um, I'm sorry, or I'm sorry, practicing only standing up straight and shooting and doing your standing reloads and stuff like that is only going to train you to shoot well standing up straight and standing reloads. Yeah, because, you know, I've definitely experienced this. I used to do that when I first started shooting. And then the minute you had to step while throwing a reload, your hand placement gets all weird. The gun's bobbling up around. You don't or get you can do imagine. weak side reload and then you DQ because you point a gun at the <laughs> yeah. RO. Yeah. Yeah. I've Fun. never done that before, but I have had a gun pointed at me from a weak side reload. Fun and times. it sucked. Yeah, it's, it's terrifying. Um, and then, you know, th- this I was guilty of this when I first started. I really wanted, you know, cool YouTube videos and being on the gram and whatnot. And I focused a lot on first-person video. Um, oh my gosh! But before my before my skills were good enough to accommodate it, and I think this really comes down to overcomplicating your routine. Um, and this is you know, as you step up to the firing line, you've got a you know load make ready, and then you're fumbling with the video camera, and your fun like your skills just aren't there. You're focusing on these aesthetics, uh, recording. You're overcomplicating what your routine is, and I feel you like want to look cool. It detracts from your actual skill level, um, and I'm not going to tell you that you shouldn't take video. Because if you really want to, you know, you well, video is beneficial, right? You if, if you know how to analyze video, if you know someone who can analyze video and break it down for you, it's a very good training tool. Yeah, but you know, when you're when you're at a certain skill level, it almost detracts from the shooting because you're you're worried about the video and you're not focusing on your shooting. Well, this is why I don't do videos at major matches. This is why I never ask yeah, anyone to uh-huh. take videos of me at major matches because I know in the back of my head, I'm saying there's a camera pointed at me. Like, what am I going to do? And I'm pretty good at ignoring it. Yeah, but like it, just that one little thing, it's like you you mess up one little thing, and then all of a sudden it all just it. For me, it makes performance performance is fine until there's an error, 
and then I and then it gets to the point where when the error occurs, it just magnifies like how much worse it gets through a stage. Yeah. That's just me. Um like I I don't like being filmed. I don't like I, I do it anyways. I film, I I film get, them at yeah, every major match which, which is fine. Like, that works to my benefit because if I don't know you're filming, then I don't know you're filming. Yeah, it's not going to uh, hurt me. But but for me, it's just... It's almost like stage fright. And I'll, I'll, I, I never... I've never gotten out of it. And it gets like... You know, on the first stage too, I've been shooting USPSA for... This is my third season now. I still feel like... I still feel like vomiting every time I shoot that yeah, first stage. But then after that, jitters, I'm fine. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Right, and it's the same thing. It's the same principle. Yeah, and you know, at, at some point, it probably you know, it's all subconscious once you're at really the highest level. And I think this is for any athlete that competes on or competes in a sport that's televised. At some point, it just doesn't phase you anymore because it's all so subconscious to your performance. Yeah, um, yeah. But again, if you're a D class, C class shooter, you're not at the level where you're shooting a subconscious and it doesn't really matter. You know whether you're being filmed or whether you're filming yourself in first person video. But they do worry about how they, they look. They do. And, and then, that's what hurts them. And then it just messes with the whole flow of how they're trying to shoot a match or what their skills are doing. Yeah. Well, it's because they want to look good. They want to go fast. And then they yeah. go fast and they miss everything and it sucks. Or or they slow down way too much and enter this, you know, this whole match video mode thing where they are only... Where it goes beyond match mode. Yeah. Where it's, where it's really <laughs> what they're comfortable doing and then they get it on film and then it just looks smooth and they're confident. Um, but again, it's, it almost detracts from your, like, actually unlocking your capabilities as a athlete. If that makes sense, or yeah. a, a USB well, so in a match, you sh- really shouldn't be pushing it beyond what you can do. Mm-hmm. I think it usually goes in the opposite direction for for people on video, though. I think they try and go too fast; they, they want to look super uh-huh. cool, and it ends up in like a DQ or an ND. Yeah, or the <laughs> or, whole like, oh, where's your scores, bro? You know, it's the it's it's that whole thing. Valid but, question. But you know, th- this brings us to another saying that we hear a ton. Ooh, this is Tim Harris. Tim Heron's favorite. Uh, Favorite saying. And uh, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Yes. Yeah. Now, I wasn't there for the Tim Heron class here uh, in Berryville, Virginia, but I heard he was saying that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, Keanu and I have argued about this before. Like, I, I understand the merit of probably of how it was originally meant to be taken as a shooter, which is essentially don't surpass the speed at which you can perform certain tasks because then you'll become smooth and it's faster to be smooth than it is to try to correct the mistakes that and you're it making. makes sense in that context but when you reach a certain point it no longer makes sense because you're just being slow yeah and, and you're dumb really what it should be is you want to be fast and smooth yeah and that is peak performance well i think you want to be smooth first right because if you want it if you're going to be fast anyone can be fast you just won't hit anything yeah Right. Yeah, smooth first. But you want to be smooth, yeah. right? So you uh, want to shoot within your capabilities, but you don't want to go so like, but you don't want to break it down to the point where you're slow. Yeah, that's detrimental to your performance. Absolutely, and and I think you know I've got I understand Steve Anderson's concept of match like match mode. Like, I don't. I'm too dumb to understand like, Steve Anderson. <laughs> like my my little pea brain cannot comprehend anything he says. Uh huh. But like I just shoot a match how I shoot a match, and that's yeah. just what I do. I don't have like a mode in practice. I don't. I don't have a speed mode. I don't have a match mode. Well, I guess like in practice, like I have pushed speed before, and like I will get sloppy intentionally. Yeah. But outside of that, like I don't really have a whole like I don't have a different mentality from how I approach a match versus how I approach practice. Yeah, and really, what the goal, right? Match mode. What the goal is is subconscious shooting, right? You're not thinking about it too hard. You're not trying to correct some you're deficiencies. You're comfortably you're within your capabilities. Yeah, which makes sense. I, I understand the concept, but oh, I, I do too. I just. Like I'm just too dumb to, to employ it. Well, but but I think it's it's almost like if you focus on it more and you focus on the concept more, it's almost more confusing to yourself as a shooter. So do I always shoot in match mode then? Because I just never think of when I shoot. I, like, no, I, I always tell myself just shoot like an idiot because if I just don't think about anything when I'm shooting, it's going to be fine. But for you, it's like when we go and shoot. When we, I guarantee you, when we go shoot limited ten nationals. For West Virginia at Shadowhawk. Limited ten nationals. At West <laughs> <laughs> like I guarantee you, you're gonna shoot like a complete idiot. Like it's like you're gonna because it's it's fun, right? When whoa, 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 okay. Is, let me stop you there. A, I am a complete idiot. Well, and B, let, I am let, gonna shoot like a complete idiot. Let me finish my thought. So, <laughs> like especially at local matches, I've seen you push, 
to the point where you're because you're working on skills you're pushing but then when we go to a major match you really tone things back to to what is comfortable and smooth and what is going to give you the best performance for your particular shooting style it's it's very obvious when you see you like when you watch yourself shooting a local versus a major it's very obvious yeah, see, I don't see it. I almost never yeah. get video, so I never yeah. see it. And, and, and but so, I'm glad you're telling me this now. So, so it's, it's but almost subconscious. Sense. But I think the, the biggest issue with match mode and your shooters is that when they think, okay, I'm at a level one, I'm going to go to match mode. Got to go slow. Well, yeah, I'm going to stay within my comfort zone because I'm at a match. I got to perform well. But really, a level one match, if you're really looking to get into like the heat of competition in USPSA... A level one match is your practice. It's your practice. It's an equipment check too. It's that's a, all it is. Yeah, it's an equipment check, and it's also a validation of your practice, and it's also an opportunity if you don't have access to places like an outdoor range to practice movement, shooting on the move. It's a place where you practice these things. Well, see, maybe this is why you see a performance difference when I shoot a, lo- a level one versus a level two or a three. Absolutely. It's because I don't live fire practice, so I use matches as my live fire practice. But, but for a lot of people, that's, that's the situation they're in. They don't either have the money or the time to be going to ranges to practice, and they dry fire, and then they go to a level one, right? Yeah. And, but if you know, I was guilty of this my first season. All I was doing, I was dry firing at home. And I'd go to a level one match, and then it would almost be a practice session because I didn't know how to control recoil. I didn't know how to call my shots or whatnot. But then if you really back it out again and you think of this whole match mode thing in a level one, you're not going to progress as a shooter. Because almost if, if you think of a level one as a practice session for your match, a practice session for your match mode, you want to push the capabilities of your match mode or whatever and I'm using air quotes on match mode because you've got to push it so that it becomes better. I don't know if that concept is like no, you're like melting. Correctly. You're like melting my brain down right now <laughs> because, like I said, I shoot like an idiot, and that's my goal because I don't want to think about things when I shoot. Yeah. Um, so you're just kind of so, so let, let me let me try to, to like back my it brain off a feels bit. emasculated. Um, so you wear tighter pants than me. <laughs> So essentially, if you're shooting a level one in what you call match mode, where you're not pushing your comfort zone, when you go to a level three, for example, you're going to shoot it exactly the same as you're going to shoot a level one, and you're not going to get better. When you enter your match mode, since you're not pushing your capabilities in what you consider match mode, you will not get better in match mode. Because... Well, isn't that what speed mode is for, though, right? So speed mode is so you can get better in match mode. So basically, your perception changes, and then that... What what was faster, what was fast before becomes normal now because that's what you're used to. So I guess you would you say you don't want to push push match mode. You just want to shoot level ones. If you don't have a lot of pra- live fire practice and you pretty much only have dry fire and you want to use level ones as validation like you would, like you would live fire practice, you want to use level ones as speed mode basically or just on the cusp of speed mode and then you want to do level two and three at match mode. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Or, or even... Even let's for like a level one, you've got to spend time in speed mode at a level one to know what it's like to shoot a match beyond your capabilities. If that yes. makes sense, right? Yes. Because if you're if you're consistently staying in your comfort zone for a level one, you're never going to get out of it. Yeah, even if you're doing a ton of live fire, and if your live fire is consisting of all the right skills, but then you approach a level one and you go, okay, I got to go back to match mode. I've got to tone it down. Then you're never actually applying the skills in a match environment. So, so you're saying that you're at a level one, your match mode and speed mode should kind of like meld themselves together. It should be a mix between the two because if if you're never actually applying the things that you're practicing at a match because right. you're going to match mode and you're staying within your comfort zone, then right. you're almost not progressing. So it's like on the first match. two stages, you see two blatant deficiencies. The smart thing to do would be, but then everything else is okay going at that speed. The smart thing to do would be to tone back what you're being deficient on kind of go reel it back into match mode in those cases but then for everything else you know you can you can do it faster and you got to push and yeah. I, I think this is okay. in any, any sport i'm tracking all right, right? and in a competitive situation whether you know this is why everyone you know had they have skirmishes or they do scrimmages um with other teams right it's, it's a competitive environment where you can really push yourself and see what's deficient in your playing or your your capabilities um 
But again, I think a lot of people, especially the new shooters, they'll think, okay, I'm in a level one match and I'm gonna go into match mode and they don't push as hard as they should at that match. And maybe it's because they don't have plans to shoot a level three or a level two, but your performance at a level one match, I don't think will ever improve unless you're pushing yourself at that level one match. And I really feel like if you're shooting in match mode, the, the, the concept of match mode is almost to not push yourself too hard. Yeah, I, right? yeah, I agree. And so it's, it's just that thing where you almost stagnate. So people kind of get too conservative and they start getting complacent with their own skill. Yeah, and then it's okay. also a, frust- it's a circle of frustration because they're not getting better or they're not placing better at a level one match. Yeah. Um, but you, you really have to push and fail in a competitive situation, I feel like, to become a better competitor. So. Well, it's like, it's like what Batman's father said in Batman Begins. <laughs> Why do we fall, Bruce, so we can pick ourselves up? Exactly. And so that's, that's my, uh, my beef with match mode. Because, again, I feel like a lot of the things that these bad shooters or you know, shooters who are almost stuck, it's almost because it's always some type of advice that's been given to them but they never had the right follow-up on how it evolves. Right, so like it lacks context or it lacks um, precedence or it lacks being like succeeded with another yeah. statement. Or, right? or, or like it, it lacks a follow-through of this is where you start and this is what you've got to do to get better. It's just this is what you do to be a good shooter. Right, right. And um, it's just a misapplication of these concepts that never evolve and then you have people just doing 60-40 for the rest of their lives or they're just yeah. always front-side focusing. So... Okay, I've had enough of Steve Anderson's psychedelic dry fire, <laughs> live fire m- modes. Um, next topic. Don't not, not drink water. Yeah, drink, drink water. water. Drink Gatorade. Please hydrate yourself <laughs> during a match. not just Propel. <laughs> yeah. Don't be our friend and drink only Propel and then end up almost dying and having to have me save his life and emasculate myself driving his minivan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Gotta hydrate. Doesn't matter if it's winter or whatever. Well, winter you can um, get away a little bit more if you're not sweating, more, right? But if, like, you're not, if it's late spring, summer, early fall, bottle of water per stage at minimum. But like, let's be real. You'll dehydrate yourself driving six hours on the road in an air conditioned car. Like anything will dehydrate you. You just got to be drinking water. Yeah. Doesn't matter if it's winter time. Doesn't matter if it's summertime. You got to be drinking water. Yeah. And you uh, and I hydrate like crazy when we drive up. We usually stop like. You pee a little bit more than I do. Yeah, I <laughs> definitely like, do. You know, on a four-hour drive, we'll stop a couple times. Um, and, and even then, just to pick up more water, like if we don't want to... Yeah. Well, we buy a lot of water when we go to match. If we go to Walmart, you and I split a case of water, basically. And we and usually we'll, get through three-quarters of it at a major match. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll drink like, what, five or like four or five bottles just the night before. Yeah. Along mm-hmm. with a bottle of Pedialyte, right? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, you should drink Pedialyte the night before. It's pretty good. It really helps. Um and then I think the last thing we want to talk about is copying stage plans beyond your ability or changing your stage plan last minute. Um, you should definitely not do that one. No, definitely not. Um, and it also is um, kind of bad copying a stage plan that you're not capable of executing. Not to say that you shouldn't try because, you, again, like I said, you've got to push yourself with these matches. You've got to experiment. You've got to see what you're capable of and then yeah. figure and out what's And a lot of people deficient. don't have stuff like swingers and max trap, like activators. Yeah. I mean, I think that's where a lot of this, uh, where a lot of this beyond your ability stuff starts to become very, very prevalent. It's like when you see an activate activating sequence, and then you know you'll see a A, M, or G, GM level shooter go, "Oh yeah, I can do that. It's no problem." And then they'll you know they'll take it a certain sequence, so they don't have to have have to wait at all. Yeah, like between <laughs> between activation. Like David Wampler's video at Fredericksburg that one year where he almost like point shot that swinger with like point eleven splits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Just... But then the newer shooter, you as a newer shooter might go, Oh well, I'm just gonna do that. And like, then you end up doing that and you miss, end up mistiming the swinger, you end up shooting a wall, or you end up shooting a no shoot or something like that, or you end up missing the yeah. swing entirely, or you just end up sitting there waiting when instead you could have just activated the target, waited. And then shot it. Yeah. And like, I've also seen people shooting production try to copy open or limited stage plans. And well, that's just called having a bad time. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, it's it, it's really a balancing act, right? It's you, you want to be able to push yourself with your stage plan, but you also don't want to copy a stage plan of somebody who's really taking risks for reward that you're not capable of achieving. Simply put. So. Yeah. Like, yeah. At that point, the risk becomes way higher than the reward yeah because again you're not you know uh 
You're not shooting at the same level. You're yeah. not perceiving things in the same way they like they are. Um, and I think a good way to think about it is if you, you know if if you see activate on a popper, open target swinger, and if it's a pretty quick activation on the on the swinger, you know you'll see a a like you'll see a proficient shooter go. Oh yeah, so I'll just do the activator, the open target, and then the and then the and then the uh, mover or the swinger. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. But then, if you didn't have that thought in your head, you probably couldn't have done it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, if if you're walking the stage and you see the sequence, and then you go, oh, yeah, I'll just do popper, and then I'll wait, because in the back of your head, you know that you won't be able to transition quick enough to the uh-huh. open target, and then back to the swinger to hit it in time. Yeah. Right, I think that that might be a good litmus lit, litmus test. But then you could also, if you watch someone do it and you think it's be, within your capabilities, I say go for it. But mm-hmm. just don't knowingly go into something. <laughs> Cowabunga! Uh, with, with, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> saying cowabunga it is, brothers. And then you end up shooting no shoot, and then like three mics or whatever, yeah. <laughs> or two mics, and then you end up missing the open target you transitioned on first. And then you had to take like three makeups on steel because you're trying to go fast or whatever. Yeah, and then you've got like four standing reloads. And then... <laughs> yeah, basically your life sucks after that point. Yeah. And you should just quit. I mean, don't quit, but. Well, you'll probably feel like quitting after that, but it's, you know. I've had those moments, yeah. Yeah, and I think it really just comes down to, you know, gauging your skill level. What is actually risk versus reward for certain things? And just because you see a higher level shooter doing something may not make the most sense for your skill level. But it also doesn't mean to not push to achieve the skills to do it the way that the higher level shooter is doing it. Um, but I think that's all that I can think of in terms of what uh, novice shooters do and how to somewhat fix it. Um, so I'm out of ideas for the rest of this podcast. We're I'm also, out of beer, so we're done. <laughs> we're also at 50 minutes or something. So um, yeah, it's just getting long. Should we just split this up in two parts? No, we missed last week, so we're just gonna consolidate. Okay, yes. <laughs> sucks for you guys. <laughs> yeah, but, for those of you who didn't see on Instagram, we didn't record last week because Chris and I were busy hammering on my new Beretta. Yeah, we called it destroyed it. Yeah, we're doing some hood rat stuff to a brand new Langdon Tactical uh, Beretta M92. <laughs> yeah. That's the way to live. Yeah, so doing hood rat stuff with the boys. Yo, my hood rat gunsmithing is a way of life for me. It's really sad, and the things that I've done to poor yeah, guns. You know, you step stoop really low, and you've broken a punch, and you're hammering on the inside of a solid wooden wine crate. Yeah, or <laughs> if you're dremeling your PT Evo to fit a magwell that you don't use anymore. So good times. Uh, but everybody, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chris. I'm Keanu, and this has been the CSRG Hood Rat Podcast. Shoot well. We'll see you on the range. Maybe.